Greetings, friends and comrades. This is a special bonus episode of the Highlands Bunker podcast. We are produced today in partnership with the DelawareCall.com. Today, our guest is Howie Hawkins. Uh, He is an activist, a trade unionist, uh, and will be on the general election ballot in Delaware as the Green Party candidate for president of the United States. Uh, So I welcome Howie Hawkins. Uh, Thank you for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, I just wanted to mention briefly that your running mate, Angela Walker, uh, could not join us today. Um, she's working full time during the campaign. Uh, and I think that's uh, something everybody should consider. Uh, I think that's a little uh, p- important piece of information. So in the short time we have, I kind of wanted to frame the conversation like this. Um, you and I have similar politics, I think. Um, you have a trade union background, uh, a Marxist orientation, uh, and a deep passion for economic, social, environmental, racial justice. And I know many activists and friends who voted for Dr. Jill Stein in 2016. Uh, I know even more people who voted for Ralph Nader in his perennial campaigns over the decades. Um, and I certainly know people who have voted green recently um, to meet certain state thresholds for financing milestones and, and other things. So I understand that uh, a vote, a protest vote under the circumstances strategically is something uh, that can be done to achieve specific outcomes. I don't think a single vote necessarily costs anybody anything in that sense. Um, but stipulating this, how does your presidential run achieve something tangible for the causes of equality and justice? Given the binary outcome, how, do you, how are you making the case? Well, we're a second front against Trump. Trump's got to go. A vote for the Greens is not a vote in Trump's column. The Democrats will say it's a vote for Trump. No, it's a vote for the Green Party. And what does that vote mean? It means a vote for a Green New Deal, for Medicare for all, tuition-free public college, taxing the rich to fund social needs and environmental protection. Biden is opposed to all those things. So if you're a progressive or a socialist and you vote for Biden, you get lost in the sauce. You voted for Biden. You voted against Medicare for all, even though you're for it. You voted against the Green New Deal, even though you're for it. You silenced your voice. You gave up your power. The more votes the Greens get, the less our work for those issues gets taken for granted by a Biden administration. Because if everybody gives their votes to Biden on the left, he's just going to consider that he's got them in their hip pocket, he doesn't owe them anything, and he's not going to do anything for them. So make your vote count. In, in what way, I guess, well, let me phrase the question this way. Do you, as an outcome, the, the president is, uh, is going to be one of two people? A vote, for everything that you, a vote for everything that you just described is important, but I don't know if that's on the menu. Um, what You're certainly making your, your voice heard, um, but do you... Do you disagree with the premise of the binary outcome of just the election result? Just that, just that part of it. No, I think, you know, it's Biden or Trump, probably Biden. You look at real clear politics, you know, summary of the polls, which have been pretty steady since the spring. It's Biden by a landslide in the Electoral College, as well as the popular vote. So um, it's probably going to be Biden. The question is, what's he going to think once he's elected? 
uh, of the people that are demanding some progressive reforms. And if we got a small vote on the left, he's not going to think about us at all. We can do a lot of protests we want. He figures next election they're going to vote for me anyway because the Republicans are so bad. So what we're doing is changing the terms of the debate and the terms in which we fight over these issues. And if we just disappear during this election, it makes it much harder for us to advance our cause going forward. So you're stipulating that the, the whatever amount of votes you get, you feel like that would be political capital or political leverage more than, um, more than something else. So you're, you're campaigning for whatever percentage you get. Um, and, and that's the argument is that the more that you would get, the more leverage that the left would have um, for the platform that you're standing for. Is that, would, would that be a good way to put it? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, the time and the energy and the money that goes into these campaigns, I, I, I think I, I look at what you're doing and your platform as everything that I organize around and everything that I think about. Um, so it is very, um, it looks like a, it looks like a good deal for me because I'm not making any, um, real hard choices. Um, but I don't know whether the campaign and that election is, is the mechanism by which we should be organizing. Do you know what I mean? That's, I think what I need to be convinced of. Well, we both need social movements, but we also need an independent left alternative. Otherwise the movements, the Democrats in power, let alone the Republicans, can ignore us. I mean, look at the movement against the war in Iraq. We had what the New York Times called the world's second superpower. The biggest demonstrations, not just in the United States, but around the world. But the Democrats, the majority, were for that war anyway. They paid no price. In fact, after the war started, in 2004, the United for Peace and Justice, the biggest anti-war coalition got behind Kerry. They didn't do it directly. They said they're against the Bush agenda. In contrast to what we did during the Vietnam War, our slogan was out now. And we made that demand on Nixon and Humphrey. We made that demand on McCarthy and Kennedy in the primary, who weren't for out now. They were for negotiations. And in the end, Nixon for, for a number of reasons. One was the anti-war movement. Second was the GIs stopped fighting. Third was the Vietnamese were resisting. Nixon had no choice but to do what he called Vietnamization, which is basically, you know, give the money to the South Vietnamese government and have their people fight. So after a decent interval, we could get out. So we won that by sticking with our demands. Um, I... I guess I, I do agree that there was, that that activism was important in the way that things went. I would I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Um, but again, I think I'm just talking about just the electoral bit of it. Um, given you know, given our current conditions, um, would it be more important to be organizing in this condition, not from the '60s or '70s or '80s, but where we are today materially? Does it make sense to jump into this election knowing that like as you said that the outcome is binary because we can talk about what movements did in the 60s or the 70s but i feel like we're in a specific moment in time now so how do you how do you sort of relate this that story and the, and your platform into the current 
situation? Well, the current situation, the likely next president, Joe Biden, is against Medicare for all. And the people that went into the Democratic Party, like Bernie Sanders, to advance issues like Medicare for all, has now compromised on that. Now he's for Medicare for everybody over 55, which doesn't get rid of all these private insurance companies that, you know, add 30% to the health, you know, the cost of health care. Third of our health care dollar goes into the overhead of figuring out what plan the patient is covered by, whether the treatment or the uh, procedure is covered by the plan, then you got a bill, and the insurance company says the bill's too high, we're contesting it, and you get all this back and forth, all this red tape, and that stays. Bernie Sanders has abandoned his signature issue. So that's what happens when you rely on the Democratic Party or take the Green New Deal. The climate is melting down. That last International Panel on Climate Change report said to stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius rise, which is kind of a threshold for very dangerous climate change, we have 420 gigatons carbon left in the global carbon budget. In the two years since that report came out, we've emitted 42 car uh, gigatons carbon each year. We got eight years left before we blow through that budget. Meanwhile, Biden is for fracking the hell out of the country, empowering a lot of our uh, grid with gas-fired power plants. And he says he's gonna add carbon capture and sequestration, which isn't gonna happen without massive federal subsidies because it'll raise the cost of gas out of the market. And that's a massive infrastructure with dangers involved that should never be built and would lock us into you know, carbon anyway. And then he wants to expand nuclear power. The Democratic Party's for building more nuclear power plants for the first time in 50 years. And we just went through the experience, Biden and Obama gave loan guarantees to these utilities down south in Georgia and South Carolina. They started six nukes. Four of them have gone belly up due to cost overruns and construction delays. And the only reason the last two in Bogle, Georgia are going is because Brian Kemp stole the election from Stacey Abrams by suppressing the black vote as Secretary of State. And he's a creature of the Southern Company and Georgia Power. So they're gouging ratepayers to throw money down the Vogel boondoggles. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, uh, so I, I agree with your critique. Biden is a climate bomb. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your critique on Biden, not only just on climate and the environment, but on other things. Biden is, is not ideal, bad in, in many areas. I, I do not disagree with any of those critiques. Um, I, I guess my, my question more goes to, if you look over time, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, you know, uh, Nader made some similar critiques. Dr. Stein made, you know, similar systemic critiques. Um, you know, I don't know whether their involvement in the presidential election specifically did anything to productive to address those critiques. I'm not sure that the, the gross uh, vote total or you know, whatever electoral votes a third party might get, even though I agree with them up and down the board, um, does what, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an individual vote, right? And so I'm just concerned that, not that what you're saying is incorrect, but that the theater in which you're operating might take away from other, um, other avenues of, of organizing. Because it's focused on a vote, not 
um, not other organizing, really. Well, part of our campaign is uh, urging Greens to become more than activists who show up, mobilize the usual suspects, try to expand by preaching rather than listening. A good organizer listens, and they go into the communities they want to get involved and listen and build relationships, support struggles going on there, build friendships and trust. And then when elections come around, people feel they can trust you because 100 million people didn't vote in 2016. Disproportionately working class people, people of color, and young people. People say, oh, they're apathetic. In my experience, they're not apathetic, they're alienated. They're totally disgusted with the two parties who have nothing to offer them. So what we're doing is in about 40 of the 50 states, the vote we get determines whether the Green Party has a ballot line in the next election cycle so we can run local candidates. They give voice to these movements. And if we don't give voice in the elector arena, you know, the two establishment parties just take us totally for granted because we got no leverage. We're not threatening them in any way. We threaten their votes. Look, I got 5% running against Andrew Cuomo in 2014. That was a year he wanted to run up the vote, get more than his father Mary ever got for governor, more than he got when he was first elected in 2010. And he got less. He couldn't take us for granted, nearly 200,000 people. So what did he do? He moved our way. He adopted several reforms that he had never supported. A ban on fracking, a $15 minimum wage, paid family leave, extending the millionaire's tax. He had to compete for our votes. So we had leverage. And that's what we've got to replicate up and down the ballot going forward. Otherwise, you know, we can do all the protests we want, but in the end, they know we're not taking our votes anywhere, and the Democrats are going to compete with the Republicans for those votes in the middle. And the whole political thing moves to the right, as it has for the last 50 years. So, you know, uh, <clears throat> when it comes to economics and foreign policy and environmental neglect, the Democrats and Republicans are on the same page. They fight over some of the cultural issues. They're important issues. And that's how they mobilize their base. But we're in a situation of negative partisanship. Most people don't vote for their own party. They vote against the other party. And the left should be offering, you know, real solutions, positive programs to deal with the real problems people have. But if we don't vote for it and fold up our tents and disappear, you know, we're, we're slowing down the building of that movement. And that's, well, I, I can't, we don't have time to waste. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. Um, I was out canvassing at the end for a leftist insurgent candidate here about a week ago. And yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to use the Democratic Party moniker to do that. It's very difficult when you're just asking for a vote, when you're not meeting the people and building relationships uh, in the grassroots. And, and it, it does need a constant struggle. So I, I do agree, certainly, with all that that part of it. Um, I, I want to be respectful of your time, uh, so I just wanted to ask you one last question, if I could. Um, to keep the fight up for the Green Party ticket uh, on the ballot in several states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Montana, um, a lot of that fight is being funded by and argued primarily by conservative reactionary groups. Uh, does this give you any pause at all? Um, does this give you any concern about um, sort of who who is fighting those battles in the state electoral uh, boards? The whole system is corrupt. We're one of the, we're the only electoral democracy in the world that has the two governing parties administering their own elections. You go to Europe, you go to the democracies in the Pacific Rim or in Latin America, 
and they're independent nonpartisan agencies that run the elections. So you look at the fights over ballot access in all the states, and it's been strictly partisan at the uh, Secretary of State or Election Commission level and in the courts. Yeah, of course the Republicans want us on the ballot and the Democrats don't. Take the case of Wisconsin. They didn't decide our ballot access on the merits. The Democrats ran out the clock up against the absentee ballot deadline and then said we were doing it. And we were saying, make a decision already. You've got all the information you need. They did not let us present our documentation in the hearing, chaired by a Democratic uh, member of the commission, who you can see on the videotape was consulting with the lawyer of the Democrat who objected to our filing. And then we never got to present our stuff. She broke the law. And then when it got to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, they said, you're too late. So they didn't decide on the merits. You read the dissenting opinions, and it's clear. The facts and the law were on our case. And worse than that, that Democratic commissioner and the Democrats broke the law at the election commission level. People are disgusted. You know, both parties try to treat the Green parties as pawns on their own chessboard. And we don't like it, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. Now, people are saying, well, the Republicans are helping us. We hire petitioners. When we got the nomination on July 11th, we put out eight, was it eight bids? Yeah, eight bids to petitioning firms. They came back at 10 to $20 per signature. It used to be two or $3, but it, they had a COVID premium. So we hired somebody in Pennsylvania who contracted with uh, petitioners who turned out to be Republicans. But, you know, when I was a building contractor, I'd hire carpenters who got the job done. I didn't ask what party they were in. So collecting signatures is pretty mechanical. And the important point is not who asked for the signature, it's who signed. The voters signed because they wanted the Green Party on the ballot. We had three times the number of signatures we needed in uh, Pennsylvania, two and a half times the number we needed in Montana, double the number we needed, no, three times in Wisconsin, two times in Pennsylvania. We have plenty of signatures. And the other thing, why the hell do we have to get all these signatures? If you want to run as an independent for Congress in this country, it's thousands of signatures in most states. In uh, Illinois, it's over 15,000. Georgia, over 20,000. Alabama, over 30,000. Indiana, over 40,000 signatures. You want to run as an independent for the House of Commons in the UK, it's 10 signatures. For Parliament in New Zealand, it's two signatures. The Indian, uh, you know, the biggest uh, electoral democracy in the world, it's two signatures. And in this country, it's thousands. That's one of the way these two parties game it. So, yeah, I don't like the fact that the Republicans are playing games in the background. I don't like the fact that the Democrats are either. You know, we should be on the ballot and let the voters decide. People, when you petition, they say, what, you're not on the ballot? How many signatures you got to get? Really? They don't understand that, you know, most people think you want to run for office, you run. You got you to gotta do all this petitioning and all this paperwork, and then they take you to court. At least the Democrats do in our case. It's a mess, and it's uh, not serving the people. Yeah, and, and again, I, I will certainly agree with you that um, the reason when, – when, when, when people tell you that they are disgusted with the system and they feel um, completely indifferent, don't even really even think about politics because the system – is the way that you describe and it doesn't do anything one way or the other to address their material needs. All of that is true. 
Um, and, and I really respect you for uh, making that case over and over and over and over again. And I do think you said something uh, before that I just want to touch on because all of our activism and all of our organizing needs to be a threat. And, and, and you used that word before, and I think it's absolutely true. Um, so, yeah, I, I thank you for, um, for coming on. You will be on the ballot here in Delaware um, November 3rd. So, you know, people can do uh, as, they, as they wish. But uh, I do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thank you, Howie Hoffman. Well, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Left his best, everybody.